Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. In Olympia, Washington, I'm Andrea Ballard. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we're continuing our month of fall festival baking with a celebration of pumpkin, specifically pumpkin cake donuts, and not a deep fat fryer in sight. We'll also review our Amish apple dumplings from last week, and Stefan will highlight some delicious desserts from recent travels to France, Italy, and Germany during the Globetrotting Gourmet. So pour yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, we have been talking for a few weeks now. Uh, As listeners know, our anniversary is coming up right around the corner. We're already on October. It's October 9th. Uh, This episode is dropping on October 9th. And our anniversary show is coming up in November. And we have been asking for listeners to let us know some favorites or a favorite over the past year. So listeners, maybe you really loved the jalapeno cheddar scones we did back in April. Maybe it was the St. Louis gooey butter cake from our um, celebration of regional treats right before I moved to the UK. Um, What about spicy peanut butter ice cream? I know there's been some chatter on Facebook about the other ice creams we highlighted in June during ice cream month. So, um, you know, you didn't have to make the recipe if you just had a really fun time listening to us talk about it or struggle with it or really enjoy it. If it's something that's in your list of things you want to try. If it's indeed something that you've you've made and loved, we also want to know about it. So we can highlight that in our anniversary show. So there is a uh, post you can post on our Facebook wall. You could send us an email, which is hosts at preheatedpodcast.com. And we're going to compile those and prepare a, what we hope to be a really fun and uh, retrospective anniversary show coming up. I can't wait. Stefan, this week I am doing what I call homemade pantry, which is where I spend a little bit of extra time making things that I normally would buy. Oh, yes. Tell tell me. So one of the first is granola. um, And I have... Uh, sent you my recipe that I've been using for granola. It comes from my friend Mary Beth, who is also the creator of that Mary Beth's Reliable Pie Crust. And um, I'm not, I don't believe she made the recipe, but I believe she was the one who obtained it from a local bakery here in town. So um, the thing that I really love about this particular granola recipe is that it does have coconut in it, which is one of my favorite things. And it also has a little bit of wheat germ in it, which made me... <laughs> think that I wanted to check in with you and see how you're doing um, whittling down that six-pound bag of wheat germ that you ordered by accident from Amazon. So listeners, one of the things I'm getting used to about life in London is a whole new system of measurements. And a few months ago, I hurriedly clicked uh, buy on a quantity of wheat germ. I thought I was getting a fairly small and reasonable amount. And instead, what has shown up is about six pounds of wheat germ. So I have, and and it's not one big bag, it's like six big bags. So. Oh, gosh. 
this is actually good because five of them are in the freezer and okay. one is in the fridge. And I, I think it's always important to refrigerate or freeze wheat germ because I think it can, it's so oily. I think that the, it can go rancid pretty, pretty quickly. So um, I always pop it in the fridge. But the good news is that I'm about halfway through that first pound, which is pretty, Ooh. pretty impressive, I think. Okay. Um, okay. Thanks. You had sent me the granola recipe. I make homemade granola almost every week. So I have been using that, tossing it in my regular granola recipe as well. And then listener Amy um, posted to Facebook a great recipe for three grain raspberry muffins. And Amy, thank you so much. I haven't yet tried those, but I'm a hu- my family's huge muffin um, fans. And, you know, I'm just just chipping away at that good old wheat germ. It's so healthy. Such a healthy challenge I've set for myself. (laughs) Well, you know, when I made the first batch of granola, I was making it on a weekend that my friend who has celiac was visiting. And so I needed to make it gluten-free. And I knew where to find the gluten-free oats in the grocery store. And she was with me. We were shopping together. And it also has walnuts in the recipe. And I happen to know she doesn't like walnuts. She's not allergic to them. She's just not a fan of them. So I was adjusting for that. And then I was, you know, just going down the list. And I said, wheat germ. I wonder if that's in the fridge or on the, you know, uh, baking aisle. And from behind me, I heard her say, oh, do you know of a wheat germ that's (laughs) gluten-free and i went oh duh oh right yeah so i almost yeah yeah that word wheat is a little bit of a clue i don't know why it didn't occur to me i guess because again i i do gluten-free for people who need it but since it's not one of my sensitivities i'm not really totally attuned to it and so Interestingly, I made that first batch and I didn't use the wheat germ. I'm now on, I think, my third batch and I am using the wheat germ. And I was wondering why it's in the granola. Do you think it's just for health? Because I haven't noticed any different in texture or taste. Yeah, that's a really good question. In the in the recipe that I make, which is very heavy on, on nuts and seeds, it's got pumpkin seeds and um sunflower seeds and then it also has some oatmeal and I don't know is it just like a little bit more texture I, I you're right I, it's not like I'm, I bite in and I'm like oh love that wheat germ I, you know it's um <laughs> it's a good question I feel like it does add some health add some really like healthy oil uh but what's it doing yeah fiber yeah. I guess yeah okay all yeah. right well, thanks for the tip on keeping it in the fridge because I have mine in my pantry right now. And yeah. when we're done recording, I'm going to go move it because I there was a part of me that thought it should be kept in the fridge. But then when I bought it in the store, it was on the bake dial right next to the flour. So I thought, oh, maybe I was wrong about that. But it's well, once I think it's, it's kind of like once it's open. Okay. Yeah. 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 Just stick it there because it has a really high oil content. You know, another thing that's good for wheat germ is like uh, breading, like a bread coating. Like crispy mm, like okay. instead of a breadcrumb too. Yes. So I'm going to have to get some like, you know, chicken tenders or that kind of a thing going as well. Oh, but um, yeah, okay. but yeah, ch- chipping away. Maybe I should have, you know, um, <laughs> you know, when you're like on a weight loss journey or something, you get like the first pound is gone. <laughs> right. You get like a little badge or some sort of ribbon. I need to develop a little wheat germ badge and be like, the first pound is gone. <laughs> You work on that, and I would love to see photos of you wearing it um, on the streets of London. Yes. (laughs) 
The two other pantry items I've been making, one is something that my husband has been begging me for, I don't know, maybe a year or two to make, and that is homemade mayonnaise. And I didn't want to make it because it just felt like a lot of work. (laughs) I don't particularly like mayonnaise, you know, so um, I just thought, you know, why do I want to work on something that I don't really even like that much. But as it turned out, the other day I ran out of mayonnaise. And of course, now that we're back in school, sandwiches are, um, you know, popping up pretty much every day for both my husband and my child. And they both like mayonnaise on their sandwiches. So I thought, well, what the heck, I'll, I'll make it. And I had some farm fresh eggs from my friend who has chickens. So, you know, it had an egg yolk. And I used that from her hens. It had lemon juice, and I was able to use the lemons from my mother-in-law's tree in Arizona. So when she gave me a bunch of lemons, I I squeezed all the juice and froze that. It had a little bit of salt. So I used the um, Vancouver Island sea salt that I picked up on my bike trip this summer. And then it had uh, avocado oil and a little bit of Dijon mustard. And so I made it in the immersion blender. And I am fascinated with this product. I would not call it mayonnaise. And in fact, my husband said, what did you think about the mayonnaise? And I said, I think it's a really interesting spread. It, it doesn't <laughs> taste like mayonnaise to me, and but it tastes good. Yeah. So I don't know. It's intriguing. And I did put a label on it. I put it in the fridge because the recipe that I read said it will last for one, maybe two weeks. And then it put in parentheses, or until it smells bad. And uh, that that little tip enough almost set me off on it. But I'm I thought, surprised well, I it would last for two weeks even. A raw, yeah. like, it's, you don't cook it. It's a raw No, a raw it's egg. raw. Mm-hmm. Raw mm. egg, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that uh, ages over the week. I'll, I'll perhaps give an update later on that. And then the last thing that I've been making, and I am so in love with this. It is not something you would use for baking. It's more for cooking. And it is um, a mushroom powder. And it provides umami. So oh, that, right. you know, that yeah. flavor, yeah, that, yeah. that fifth uh, sense that flavor burst, and it is just delicious. Sprinkled over fresh roasted vegetables, I've been putting it in my eggs. I've been putting it on my salads. I've been putting it on my raw tomatoes, and it's a mixture of kosher salt and red pepper flakes and a couple of spices. And I've been mixing up which spices I use, like oregano or thyme or basil, um, some black pepper, and then the key ingredient is the. Um, dried mushrooms. And Mm -hmm. so I've got some porcini mushrooms Mm -hmm. is what I'm using right now. But I'm thinking I could make it with some other mushrooms as well. So um, you take those dried mushrooms and you put them in, you know, the Vitamix or a food processor and grind them into a fine powder and mix it in with all the salt and the spices. And um, did I say red pepper flakes? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, red pepper flakes. So and it's it's pretty. It's good. You obviously you use it in place of salt, not in addition to. And it's just um, I'm really trying to eat vegetables at every meal. And it is helping me do that. I love mushrooms. This sounds really great. I love. I really love porcini mushrooms also. That's that dried, very intense mushroomy flavor. And you know what? As you're talking about all the things you're sprinkling it on, the thing that immediately came to my mind was to sprinkle it on popcorn. Would you? <gasps> would you like that? I would. I think I would love that. I, I literally might do that the I minute I hang up. 
Oh my if gosh, Andrea that exits sucks. the show early and you hear the popcorn <laughs> maker starting, <laughs> you hear some crunching. <gasps> that is such a great idea. And you know what? This is also something that I think I can easily ship to you. Um, although I think I want to be careful on my customs form. I don't want to draw <laughs> unnecessary attention. Excuse you know, me, ma'am. This is what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mushroom powder, magic mushroom powder. Excuse me. <laughs> Okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna work on that. So that is my homemade pantry. And um, listeners, if you guys have any pantry items that you recreate on your own, Stefan and I would love to hear about them. We both really enjoy kind of remaking sort of the things that you typically buy, man. So that's always fun to hear about. I'm super impressed with you. They're all like such um, gourmet type of things too. You know, well, I love it. Um, they do make things feel a little bit special, mm, a little fancy. You know? Yeah, a little fancy. <laughs> well, so speaking of fancy, I have a question for you about a pantry staple, and that is a whole mm. nutmeg. Are you ready? <laughs> okay. Okay. So it's apple baking season. We're going to review our apple dumpling here in a minute. I just made my first apple pie of this season. I love putting nutmeg in with my cinnamon and my cloves and my ginger when I'm making an apple pie. And I love the hit of fresh nutmeg. It's just so vibrant. It's in my opinion, it's just so superior to um, the pre-ground. But here's my question. How do you know when to stop grating the nutmeg, the like actual nutmeg? Do you, <laughs> like, is it just till it's gone or is there like a kernel on the inside I shouldn't grate past? I never know when when to stop. I Yeah, that's a great question, Stefan. And um, I have the very scientific method. I stop grating when I start hurting my knuckles or my fingers. <laughs> So because, you know, you're holding this tiny little nugget. And so I use my rasper. um, And I know they make a special nutmeg one. I don't have that. But I just use my, I call it rasper, like a microplaner. Yes, right. And so usually I'll just do a few hits on each side of the nut. And so it starts to be more of a rectangle than a circle. Yes. And I don't know how long it takes. But at a certain point, I notice I really can't even hold it without grating my fingertips. Okay. And that's when I toss it. Okay. Okay. Because I had noticed too, so the, the nutmeg, and for folks who haven't seen a whole nutmeg, it's it's kind of the size of like an acorn and it's kind of a dark, medium to dark brown, I'd say on the outside. And so um, as you get into it though, it starts getting kind of a creamier color, like almost like an off-white or a white. And I'm thinking, is this still the same ingredient? Does it like get toxic at some point? Is this the pit? Like... <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, that's what I've been doing too. I'm like, I hate to waste. And so I'm like, I'm going to use it. I'm going to keep using it. Keep going. Yeah, we might have to put that out to our listeners. So if anyone knows, and we have talked, uh, I think it was last fall, about nutmeg toxicity. And so that actually is a really, really good question. So if anyone knows, let us know if we should be stopping at a certain point. I know what you mean. It gets kind of creamy and it's actually really cool looking. It's all kind of swirly. Mm -hmm. Oh, they're gorgeous. They're absolutely absolutely yeah. gorgeous but um all right well it sounds like we've been on the same page so far with no ill ill effects but yeah f- listeners if you know i would love to just or what's the general consensus what do people do so yeah what what do people do well speaking of the apples and the baking season and it is fall festival month and one of the things we're celebrating is it's national apple month uh in the US and we are kicking that off by um our Amish apple dumplings from Midwest Midwest Living Magazine. We introed these last episode in episode 46. And Andrea, I'm going to go ahead and um, jump into 
to the Apple Dumpling Gang to start talking about those. (laughs) You go. Um, So I had a period of my life where I was making apple dumplings all the time. So the the (laughs) basics of this recipe were not new to me. Um, You are taking uh, basically a whole apple, you are peeling and coring that, and you are setting it inside a pastry square, just a kind of a basic pie crust pastry, and pulling up the corners making it as pretty as you can and baking those individually. So if you think of just a, a whole baked apple encased in a in a pastry shell, that's what you've got. This recipe takes it a little bit step further by making a simple caramel and then also um, suggesting some whipping cream on top. So nothing wrong with any of that. Strangely enough, um, the biggest challenge I had with this recipe was finding Crisco. <laughs> London so does not have a, a ready and steady supply of Crisco. So bizarre to me. So um, last episode, I talked about setting myself the challenge of finding some Crisco. Um, for many, many years, I made a Cris- uh, half Crisco, half butter pie crust, and that was my standard. I was really intrigued with this pie crust. It is a um, full uh, vegetable shortening or Crisco, and then the addition of an egg and some vinegar with the cold water. So I really wanted to try this. This sounded really intriguing to me. I know your friend Mary Beth has a similar recipe with great results. So mm-hmm. here comes the track down of Crisco in London town. And I went to the flagship Whole Foods, which is this enormous Whole Foods here in London, not far from my home. And I had at one point six employees following me around the store. <laughs> trying to find some Crisco. And at one point, the lady turned to me and said, this really isn't healthy, is it? And <laughs> Well, so that's funny. As soon as you said Whole Foods to me, I thought, well, guaranteed, they're not going to have Crisco. But if you I know the one um, that I go to sells the Spectrum yeah. vegetable shortening. Sure. Yeah, I would have been happy with any brand. Yes, you're right. I should I should clarify that. Yeah, it did not have to be okay, Crisco but, brand. So Okay, so you were just telling them you were looking for vegetable shortening. So were they were they confused by the term? Like, did they know what you were talking about? So the first, um, you know, as I kind of went up the chain of whoever they were drawing in, they were <laughs> they were getting more knowledgeable as as it went. But but I had to say at first, you know, they would just like stare at me, and I would say it's for a pastry, and then okay, and then I'd say it's it's. Um, it's a hardened fat at like a butter <laughs> consistency. Okay, okay. And then at one point, I even hydrogenated oil. Yes, right. And and so we're we're going all around. We're scratching. You know, where could it be? Where could it be? And and finally, I said, you know what? Do you just have um, lard? I could use lard. Well, that uh-huh. brought in the butcher to the game, and so. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. The most he could offer me was uh, drippings, like for your gravy. Mm. And I said, Mm. no, no. And then the butcher's boss came out and (laughs) said (laughs) – and, you know, I just had time. So I was just like, I'm going to see where this goes because this was like a half an hour ordeal out of my life. Um, And the butcher said, I could get you goose fat, but only starting in November. So, Oh, well. (laughs) Our gooses are presently being fattened, so <laughs> they're not quite ready for again, prime time. Needless oh to say, I gosh. went and I, I stopped at many um, other UK grocery stores, just wasn't having any success. In the end, of course, able to find it online with not too much trouble. But, you know, I just – I want to be able sometimes to just run out and, and get something off the shelf. And so that's that's something I have to adjust about how I cook and shop and think about 
planning here because I'm not always able to do that. And, you know, vegetable shortening, I just, I don't even think about that. That's how much I take it for granted that I could find that in a U.S. grocery store, right? I mean, and for yeah, not for just work. find it, but then have options like butter flavor no. or, you know, just in the, in the different brands. Or, yeah, yeah. All of that. So. Oh, Anyhow, with my Crisco in hand, I made this dough. I loved this dough. Oh, I loved this dough. I will be making it again. The egg does something, and maybe it's the presence of the vinegar as well, to make it just very easy to work with. It was a very soft dough. It was very easy to roll out. I thought it had a great flavor. I thought it had a lot of good flakiness. Uh, That worked really, really well for me. And the hardest part, aside from the the Crisco, was that I used these huge, big British baking apples called Bramley apples, and they're just simply too big. It's supposed to be an individual portion. So I cut mine in half, and that made them not as pretty, but the the taste was still really, really good. Um, And then you whip up a very simple caramel sauce, and it is a sauce. It's pretty thin, and... uh, so just be at least mine mine was maybe you'll have a different experience there um just be prepared for that uh taking a few extra minutes at the end and the flavor was dynamite i really really enjoyed them so i can't wait to know what you thought as a real pie pie person andrea well as a pie person um when it came to eating this dish i absolutely loved it and so did the people that i served it to it completely disappeared but when it came to making this dish, I I was angry, <laughs> and um, no, no, there were there were a couple of reasons. Um, uh, first is what you've already mentioned that the dough is so similar to the pie crust dough that I already use that I thought you know I know that the recipe that I use Mary Beth's recipe which is on our website preheatedpodcast.com, um, I know that works and I wasn't willing to make the slight change in ingredient quantities that they did. So I just went with Mary Beth's regular recipe. I thought, you know, pie dough is pie dough and I know hers works. So I made some changes there. Um, Then the phrase peel and core eight apples. That just sounds like um, an entry into the tedium diary. I just just cannot see myself doing it. The only way that I (laughs) core apples is I have one of those – Oxo um, cutter thingies. It, it sort of looks like a, a a pie slicer, and you smash it down on top of the apple, and so it it removes the core and then cuts everything into eight slices. Oh uh, yes, and it looks kind of like um, is it metal? Yes. Yeah, okay, I and know it what has, you're talking you know, about. It has, it has handles, like teeth right? on. Yeah, I I know. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was like, so I was like, well, so if I need to core the apple, that's how I would core the apple. But this wants me to leave the apple intact mm-hmm. after I peel it, mm-hmm. which again, it's way too much work. And um, I don't peel my apples normally for apple pie. So I just I just was like, oh, I don't want to do this. So I was kind of annoyed. I do recall back to my childhood, I think my mom had an apple core. It was, it was sort of... Um, like this sharp serrated edge and you would stick it up the apple and then sort of twist it, but I don't have one of those. So I decided to use my um, core slash slicer. I did peel the apples and um, I, you know, tried to amuse myself by making the longest peel possible without it breaking. That was kind of fun. I always do that too. Isn't that fun? Yeah. I know. It's kind of meditative. (laughs) I know. Meditative, and um, but then since I had my apples all sliced up, I thought, you know, 
I've already ruined the effect of kind of the full apple in it. So I might as well do what I want to do here, which is the other thing that bugged me about this recipe is that the apple was just plain. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was no sugar. There were no spices. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, um, I don't know. I'm not on Weight Watchers. I don't want some big, (laughs) you know baked apple without any goodness in it. Um, So since I already had my apple sliced up, I went ahead and added in a little bit of sugar and cinnamon and nutmeg and cloves. So I really deviated uh, on the filling there. And then I just formed it into an apple-like shape, (laughs) sort of a clump. And put it put it right in the middle of the crust and then folded the crust up. And, you know, it did say to use a pastry wheel, which I think would have been really pretty. Mine was not that pretty. I just kind of folded the corners up. It was a bit more like when we made our um, summer plum crustatas yeah. a few rustic. months ago. Call that rustic. Know. Yes. Yes. Mine was much more rustic. And... Um, I also, when I was rolling out the dough, I didn't feel like making four different circles, you know, the four or six inch squares. So I just made two big ones and then that's what I baked. And then I just cut them into pieces and serve them to people. Well, the Amish are forgiving people, Andrea. So, but is, but is Stefan, is, are you horrified at how I have taken your dumpling? My upholder tendency. No, you know what's, you know what is interesting? And I think we did a disservice by calling these individual apple pies because um, you're right. There's no sugar. There's no cinnamon. There's none of those kind of apple um spices that you would like. And when I used to make these, I did exactly what, what you said. And I would go one step further and put some butter down the cord part of the apple which oh. I just have to recommend also. <laughs> it, it was really hard for me not to tuck some butter in there because I just had that same thought. It was like, you know, you, I just don't want to bite into a hard-baked plain apple. I don't, it, just, it just didn't grab me. And so I, I think me. that that's what the caramel sauce is for. And so if you're going to make this and follow the recipe, do not skip the caramel sauce. Otherwise, it will be a little bit bland. Because it's just a pastry that doesn't have any sweetener in it uh, with a plain baked apple. And so I think that caramel sauce is really crucial for, you know, adding some sugar and and some interest as well. Um, so, so yeah, I, uh, again, mine weren't pretty either. Uh, I really love this pastry. That's a great takeaway for me. But I also like... I, I really love apple pie, and that's more how I yeah. would I would deviate again. Just just as you did naturally, that's what I would I would do in the future as well. Right. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Well, and I really cheated with the rest the rest of this recipe. Like I said, it made me angry. Part of what made me angry is it was three entire different things and and steps. And I'm kind of a one bowl baker kind of gal, so um, just a lot of prep time. And so um, on the caramel sauce, I used a pre made one. I used yeah. Fran's caramel sauce. Oh, that's a good one. And just um, it is a good one, and I, I I think it really helps. And then um, on the whipping cream on top, um, uh, I had my friend visiting who is lactose-free. And so I actually um, made a coconut whipping cream, which I had never done before. So I took a can of the full-fat coconut milk, and I opened it up, and I drained out the water uh, piece of it. And so I just kind of had that chunky coconut, and I threw that into the mixer with a little bit of sugar and a little bit of vanilla and made a coconut cream. And I thought that was really good. So I'm going to kind of tuck that back into my... um, little list of tricks is if you want some cream for someone who's dairy-free or lactose intolerant, that you can whip up coconut cream instead. Yeah, that reminds me of the aquafaba 
that we talked yes. about, which was the chickpea. I love yes. all these variations on non-dairy uh, whipped product. It's it, People are so creative and also, you know, delicious. So, yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, listeners, let us know how it went for you. The Amish apple dumpling was from Midwest Living. And uh, maybe you made some other variations or maybe you have a great uh, foolproof apple dumpling recipe of your own. We'd love to know about that. Um, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's out there. Yeah, love to hear about it. And we're going to start baking something a little bit different, and that is the pumpkin donuts or pumpkin cake donuts. These are from our one of our favorite websites, the King Arthur Flower web, website. And I know one of the things I really liked about these donuts is the fact that they're baked instead of deep fat fried. Uh, what about you, Stefan? What do you find appealing about a pumpkin cake donut? Something about donuts just always says fall to me. And so I was not surprised uh, to, to run across these when we were looking for celebratory pumpkin pumpkin recipes. Uh, I was married in October and we went to New England for our honeymoon. And I have just wonderful, vivid memories of eating uh, apple cider donuts in a cider mill out in Vermont. And there's something just about that really cinnamon sugary taste and just a donut in general. I don't know. It's always been very fallish to me. I love baking with pumpkin. Listeners know my love of our pumpkin bunt, which was, you know, at the forefront about a year ago. Um, Oh, yes. I always love the idea of frying a donut. And then I do it. And I swear never again. It's right. Mm-hmm. It's a mess. Keeping the oil at the right temperature is really hard. If it gets, you know, too cool, then the the donut absorbs all the oil, which is just gross. So uh, I also have one of those pumpkin, um, not pumpkin, donut baking sheets. It kind of looks like a muffin tin, but it's for donuts. Um, and th- that's been great. And they have the donut shape and you just bake them off. And so this recipe is um, going to be a use for that. Now, mine are minis. So I'm going to need to fiddle with the baking time, but that just means I can eat like six at a time. So, <laughs> Well, and you know, I was going to ask you about that because I don't have a donut pan. And when I was reading the reviews on this recipe, I saw that um, one uh reviewer wrote, the hardest part of this recipe, in my opinion, is greasing and filling the donut pan, because in my case, I have the mini donut pan. So it takes quite a lot quite a lot of time and energy. So I immediately thought to myself, okay, well, if I'm going to buy a donut pan, I'm definitely going to buy the regular size and not the mini. But I just wondered, could I could I just put the, the dough into a pastry bag and just squeeze them out onto a, a baking sheet? Do you think I really need the baking pan? Or is that just for the looks for the donut baking pan? That's a good question. I mean, one other thing that this recipe specifies is you can do them in a muffin tin. And then it says they just won't be donuts. They'll be muffins, but it's going to be the same flavor. I actually have a recipe that I've made It's for several years, and it's called donut muffins. And it's exactly like what it sounds like. It tastes like a cake donut, but it is in the shape of a muffin. So that that might be the way to go if you don't have the pan. Although, I mean, I don't know if the dough is just too soft, if it would just kind of, you know, ooze back yeah, together just sort when it was baking. Ooze. But it might be a good experiment with a couple. I don't know. You could yeah. you could see. I don't have Well, I'll have to see. Yeah, I yeah, don't have what? so much of the problem with the tediousness of the uh greasing. Mine is oh. nonstick and um oh, okay. I'll just if I really feel like it, I'll give it a squirt of Pam. But I haven't had a lot of issues with sticking. Uh but maybe that's just maybe that's just my pan or 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to try this one. I love pumpkin. I It is one of my most favorite flavors of fall. I love pumpkin bread. I love uh, pumpkin ice cream. I love pumpkin cookies. I love pumpkin eggnog, which just, you know, takes October right into November <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Nice segue. Um, the one thing I the one thing I do not like is the ever so famous pumpkin spice latte. And I was wondering since um, you know you can't get away from it here in the States, um, do you run into the pumpkin spice craze in London, Stefan? I think it's coming. You know, as a person who doesn't drink coffee, <laughs> I know, I know, and that like people are like, we don't even drink coffee. Why should you be upset? But yeah. <laughs> I, I don't spend as much time as probably people who do drink coffee like in coffee houses, but still, no, it's coming. And uh, yeah, I think I think it's going to be a, just as big of a deal here. Um, okay. We'll yeah. have to see. Well, we'll have to see. Good to know. I know. Well, listeners, remember, we will have a link to this pumpkin donut recipe on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as on our Pinterest and our Facebook group pages. And we hope you'll bake along with us. Well, speaking of treats uh, near and far, it's a little episode, a uh, mini segment called Globetrotting Gourmet, and I wanted to tell you guys about some recent trips I've taken and recent desserts I've eaten. Uh, one of the wonderful things about being based in London now is how easy it is to get to mainland Europe, and I think the longest that we've traveled was a little bit uh, under two hours to uh, Italy, and um, you know it takes thirty minutes, forty minutes to get to France, and um, you know not, just over about an hour for Germany. So um, we've been really lucky for on breaks and for different different things to be able to to go. So um, the first trip we took was to France, and we met up with my husband's sister for a big birthday for her. And we ate a dinner at a restaurant that was known kind of far and wide for its dessert called a baba a rum, and that is translated to rum cake. Now, Andrea, have you had have you had this dessert, a rum cake? No, I, I had not no. either, but it's probably not something that I would just order. But because it was the specialty of the house, I thought, yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. So, it is a wedge. <laughs> wedge of a kind of a yeasty cake. So not like an angel food cake, although that's more of the texture, but not um, not like a pound cake, not that dense. But I don't, if you think about, I don't know, almost like a Danish in a way, that kind of a cakey, but okay. risen thing, but in a big, in a big shape, like a wedge of a cake shape. And so that comes first. And then the waiter came following with a large bottle of rum and it had um, a spigot on the top like you'd see when they're putting like the flavoring in your coffee and he okay. dumped it upside down in the cake and <laughs> the rum oh. came out of the bottle and infused the cake to the point where it was just pooling around the bottom of the plate and then he took it out of the cake and set the bottle in front of me and said enjoy so <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> Well, that's pretty exciting. If I would have a match in the, like, you know, <laughs> anywhere at the table, the whole room would have gone up. I like rum in moderation. Um, I like cake. This was to the point of, I mean, it was so soggy. It was just impossible for me to enjoy. I mean, I, I, I took bites out of curiosity and, you know, right. um, of course. But – and I just thought, am I just like really missing this? Is just just way too sophisticated for me. You know, what about this? But um, – so – 
you know, I'd love to hear from other folks who maybe have had a different kind of variation on this. Or, But what I understand is, is the rum poured directly into the cake, like in front of you. First of all, it's to prove that there's rum in the cake, which was kind of a thing back like in ancient times. You were actually paying for the, the alcohol. Like to prove oh, okay. that, you know, here it is and I you're see. buying a rum cake. Yes. Um, yes. Anyway, so might give that one a, pa- a pass, especially because there's other delicious French desserts like, you know, um, cream puffs and crepes and um, creme brulee as well. So oh, yes. <laughs> that's that. Oh. Um, next up is Italy, where we ate our weight in gelato. You and I share a love of gelato. Uh, kiwi and cherry were my two favorite ones that I tried this Ooh. time. And then we had on our last night um, at the, the place we were staying, I don't know the name of this, uh, but what it essentially was described or translated into English as was nougat covered beignets with white chocolate mousse. So the nougat was more like a Nutella flavor, but it was, if you imagine, how do you imagine this? If you imagine a um, a very soft candy bar, like it's maybe a little bit melty and it was draped okay. over a cream puff and inside was the white chocolate mousse. So like, very oh my God. kind of strange looking, not very beautiful, but the, all the flavors were fantastic. And that was a real surprise. It was really, really good. I wish if, if someone knows the name of what I ate, I would love to know the Italian name. So um, that, yeah, that, one's that lost, sounds like but, such an interesting combination. I love that. Absolutely. Uh, and then in Germany, oh, I love, I love the food in Germany. Everything's deep fried. There's so much meat. There's... <laughs> It's just fantastic. There's cheese, there's beer, and they had a great dessert, which was a beer-battered deep-fried apple ring with a salted caramel ice cream. And I sent you a picture of that, and I said, this is what it looks like when a churro and an apple pie have a baby. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That sounds so good. That was divine. It was just like right from the deep fryer. It was not greasy at all. All it was the the batter was just very light, but it had that kind of berry tang, but not, wasn't overwhelming at all. And it went so well with the with the apple and with the caramel. And that I yeah, I'm gonna maybe I should figure out how to make those. Although that's deep frying again, I don't know. But <laughs> oh, that is oh, it's like we always want to do these things, and then we realize oh, I know. wait a minute, I'll just plan another trip to Germany. That's what I'll do. So anyway, more trips coming up. So I'll keep you guys updated, and um, of course eating um, yummy things in England too. So I'll keep you apprised of that. But yeah, that's just a few updates well, from a few few countries. And I don't have a globe-trotting gourmet entry, but I do have a local gourmet entry. And it kind of comes right on the heels of that photo you sent me. I think you sent that to me on a, on a Friday or Saturday morning. And that night I went out to a local restaurant in Olympia called Dillinger's. And I ordered a whiskey donut bread pudding dessert. Oh, and so, Andrea. And, and I wouldn't normally order this, but I think I had, you know, the the donut thing on my mind because of the pumpkin donuts. And um, I was thinking about your sort of the, the whole deep frying. And um, anyway, the description, looking at it on the menu, four styles of donuts baked in a custard. Seattle Distilling Company butterscotch whiskey sauce topped with Olympic Mountain bourbon praline ice cream. <laughs> four styles of donut, what do they mean? Like four flavors or like a cake donut, a raisin donut? I don't, what? <laughs> well, I don't know because it was all 
in there. You know, right, it was it's all, all big. Yeah, right. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that means they get like a bag of donuts and just chop them up and throw them. You know, I basically think it's they're making a bread pudding with donuts instead of bread. I mean. So they're probably using some cake donuts and some, you know, who knows, apple fritters and, you know, all kinds of things that would bake up good into a bread pudding. It was divine. It reminds me of the bread pudding we did with the salted caramel whiskey butter sauce. I had all those. Yes. Yeah, the salted bread and butter yes. pudding. That's what it was. Oh, Andrea. Yes. That sounds – I'm oh going to globetrot this gourmet back back home and have one of those with you. <laughs> <laughs> you have something to look forward to when you return. Totally do. Oh, well, thanks for that update, Stefan. I love the globetrotting gourmet, and um, it's really fun to be able to sort of live vicariously through your food travels and food adventures. Oh, thanks. Listeners, if you could help us out – Preheated has been nominated in King 5's Best of Western Washington contest in the podcast court category. So when you have a moment, we would love it if you would cast a vote for us. You can go to king5.com slash best. And in the arts and entertainment category, you'll find an entry for a podcast and you'll see Preheated in there. And we would love it if you could go in and give us a vote. So exciting. Well, listeners, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get to the dishes. Join us next week. We'll honor National Cookbook Month by each selecting a recipe that challenges us. Andrea will have a review of Otolenghi's new release, Sweet. And we'll also review our pumpkin donuts and share some of our listeners' favorite cookbooks. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, and download us on Google and Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you subscribed to the show and gave us a review. Both things will help others find us. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Heated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.